That, as we know, is uh, Misha Era, composed by uh, Cork uh, composer, the late, great Sean O'Reilly, and it forms the backdrop for uh, a concert which uh, is on the way to celebrate the 100th birthday of George Morrison. And to talk about the project, I am joined now by uh, Maria Nivoraku regular contributor, although it's been a while since we spoke. Maria, good morning. August fall to good evening, Clark. Good morning, Good morning to you. That, I would suggest, now this is a totally personal opinion and not to be taken as stated near FM policy, but I would contend that that is one of the most stirring pieces of music that has ever come out of this country. Oh yeah, I mean it sends shivers down the spine, especially when you've seen the film that goes with it. It really does, doesn't it? And that is what we're going to talk about. Uh, <clears throat> it's um, Sirsha, which is the uh, sequel to Misha Era. George Morrison, across the board, fingerprints everywhere. Tell us about him, and he would be celebrating his one hundredth birthday. That's right. That's correct. Um, Tony, he's 100 this year and um, still with us, thank God, and uh, still working. And um, he's great company. I was just talking to him the other day. So, um, Saoirse was to be screened in the concert hall there on Friday with full orchestra playing Sean O'Reilly's stirring um, soundtrack to the film. 
but unfortunately, due to COVID once again, uh, it had to be cancelled. But it's going to be rescheduled, I believe, and I think the IFI is planning to screen Saoirse in the Irish Film Institute there in Eustace Street, which is just off Dame Street. So um, it's an important film to watch because it documents the um, the events from 1919 up to 1922, which was a very troubled and very difficult time in Irish history for the people of Ireland, and it hasn't really um, hasn't gone away, as I say. You know, the, um, there was a certain amount of bitterness that was very difficult to negotiate because people took different sides over the treaty, and um, the treaty was defended by um, Michael Collins and his men and then um, unfortunately the tactics used were you know, definitely regrettable to say the least and Very much so and, and indeed like yeah. I remember back in 2016 and it seems with everything that has happened Maria that is two lifetimes ago but I remember when the commemorations for 1916 took place and I remember something that's etched in my brain is the soldier who, if memory serves me right, was from Cork <coughs> who stepped out in front of the GPO that day to read the proclamation mm-hmm. as Parry Pierce did and did it so brilliantly, so absolutely brilliantly but I remember thinking on the day this is a simple one this is an easy one to commemorate when we get to 1921 and 1922 they could be very very dodgy ones to commemorate mm-hmm. yeah definitely it um, requires a lot of sensitivity and a certain amount of Christian forgiveness you know because the the amount of executions and the you know the sheer uh horror of the massacres um, and then the, the bitter words that were spoken um, they're very hard to get over, you know, it's one thing when you have um, an enemy that's perceived as uh, you know part of an empire, foreign domination kind of thing but when it's uh, <clears throat> your own people who know you so well they know your character, they know your personality, they know your interests and they know you know your your friends and your whole network um you know tracking and tracing the uh the people being hunted down was a lot easier because they knew them they knew who their pals were but i mean maria let's not you know sort of and i i fully appreciate and 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 i i i'm grateful to you for being so careful and being and choosing your words so tactfully this morning (laughs) but like it was brother against brother it was never mind different families within the communities turning on each other there was different members in the family turned on each other and I mean we as you say we're still living with it today and I think it's going to take a number of generations maybe for it to die out and yes maybe in certain places it's dying out faster than in others would let anybody um, listening to us this morning be in no doubt whatsoever 
what we are looking at unfolding in Dáil Éireann at the moment, while it all looks uh, very lovely in the two biggest parties in the country forming a coalition, they were bor- born out of civil war politics. Exactly. They were, and the allegiances are very strong still, even to this generation. Um, you know, there's name calling at various times, and uh, you know the old label of the blue shirts is still uh, bandied around, understandably. And um, it is it is very hard, but you know we're not the only ones. Every country in the world has uh, every t- you know the tensions, especially if there's been a struggle, and then the disappointments of the promised you know future doesn't always unfold the way people had hoped. I mean, it, it never does, really. Um, I was just watching a film there the other day by um, Ponte Corvo. He's an Italian director, and he made a film that's uh, well worth watching when you look at the likes of Saoirse and Misha era. It's called The Battle of Algiers, and it's set in Algeria at the time of their struggle against the French. And um, there's, a, there's a moment in the film where one of the veterans of the struggle, a very learned man, he's uh, he's being <coughs> shipped out because it's deemed too dangerous for him to be still around. And there's a young lad uh, who is a bit of a shoplifter and thief and, you know, just a street fighter who has been recruited. Um, he, uh, you know, he was just um, a thug, basically, and when he was in prison, he saw an execution because of by guillotine in those days of one of the freedom fighters of Algeria and it kind of inspired him to kind of look outside his own miserable life and look at the the, the larger struggle of his country and anyway the two of them are on um, the rooftop waiting for orders to move and they just get into a little conversation and the older man asks the younger man what does he think about what's going to happen and you know and then he says to the younger man he says you know it's very hard to start a revolution it's nearly impossible to sustain it and keep it going unbelievably difficult to win but when you do win that's when your real problems begin and that is so true because you know I often get the feeling and have got it over the years that we are without doubt we're a terrific people and we're a wonderful country but I often think that that Bitterness, the hangover of that bitterness has in so many ways held us back as a country. Like, I, I and I'm particularly cognizant when I say that, Maria, of <coughs> people who have gone abroad and when you see what they've achieved when they step outside. Now, I know, I know there's people listening this morning and they're going to start saying about you know, the Ralph McTell song in the streets of London and it's paved with people who um, fell foul of drink and, and, and died destitute. But there was an awful lot of people who left this country and uh, did extremely well. And you would wonder, had they stayed here, would they have been as successful? Well, um, how do you measure success? You know, I mean, there's people who are well off, but they're very lonely and they when you get talking to them they say their happier day the happiest days were when they were um <clears throat> young part of the community they were poor but they remember it with fondness, you know. Now I know you can say um rose tinted glasses looking back but the sense of 
uh, belonging and the sense of community, you can't buy that. And once you've moved away from your community and your family, it's very hard to get the sense of yourself where you belong. So I think we make the mistake of uh, saying that um, success in terms of material. And I think that's one of the big problems in Ireland at the moment is that, um, you know, when you look back, we've become so materialistic. It's unbelievable that think we're the same people that we were then you know so um and again it's not just us you go around the world and you see huge changes uh in societies and in um in even in the rural areas um communities have broken down the young people have all moved away the old people have no uh they've no support really you know their local shops have all closed down and they've no way of buying a few groceries other than getting a lift from somebody or if they can still drive, driving to the nearest city to the nearest uh, cheap continental supermarkets that everybody seems to support instead of their local shops, you know. So it's all very kind of, I kind of, it's disappointing and it's short-sighted because we need to support our small businesses. And you are mentioning the whole lockdown and COVID, you know, that destroyed a lot of small businesses and um, very unfortunate but like we can't keep always choosing the cheaper option or it seems to be the more glamorous cheaper option if we really want a future for ourselves and our children and the young people that need jobs and that so um, again how do you measure success I think that when we were a poorer country uh, as far as I remember if you needed to go to hospital if you needed if you had a wound to be stitched or a broken limb or something there was no charges. You just arrived at the hospital, and if you were waiting longer than half an hour, you'd be given out. And I won't even mention what the current situation is, but um, we were poorer then, and there weren't the amount of people sleeping in the streets, and we had less um, houses and less apartments, and yet, you know, there seemed to be a place for everybody to live. I know it wasn't perfect and there was a very good documentary done in the 60s of people living up in Richmond jail, families in terrible circumstances. But um, at least they had a community and they didn't, like the people that are living now in hotel rooms, a family in a, in a hotel room for months and they have to move out every time there's um, a rock concert or some event that means that the hotel's going to be more busy. So they, you know, they just have no real home and no place for children to run around or whatever. So I think that, um, you know, I think we blind ourselves when we think that, uh, when we think that we're better cared for nowadays and <clears throat> do we care for each other better? I don't know. Well, definitely, uh, I mean, the it seems to me that from my limited experience of, of hospitals during uh, my young formative years, yes, there's certainly I don't remember discussions about waiting lists etc you could always seem to be able to get to see a doctor when you wanted to mm-hmm. and I mean we see the statistics being trotted out when this country was allegedly broke and I mean in the 40s 50s 60s and 70s when we had nothing mm-hmm. we seem to be able to build Tala, Finglas, Cabra, Blanchestown, mm-hmm. Ballymun you know we Crumlin, Drimna, we seem to be able to build them, no problem. Now we're reckoned per head of capita to be one of the wealthiest countries in the world. And um, 
I'm not even going to elaborate any further on, on, on what you mentioned there in relation to the, the, the housing crisis because it is it's gone beyond all proportions and, and you know I do despair when I, when I when I do interviews about it which I do on a regular basis because I just cannot see an end of it anywhere uh, with current policy because we're just not building them fast enough um We'll, we'll get back to... Um, yes, exactly. To That's what I was going to say to you. Um, we spoke the other day, uh, Maria, it was a Thursday or Friday whenever we chatted about this interview, about Sean O'Reilly. Now, I know we're going slightly off topic because we're talking about George Morrison, but they're inextricably linked through the Misha era uh, thing. He died young, but God, he left some... He left some library of, of, of music behind him, didn't he? Oh, he did, you know, and... Uh, actually, Maria, uh, on that topic, and, and on his way of... And it's, it's a Cork expression. On his way of doing things with music, number one, he, yes, he left a massive legacy behind him. But number two, when you listen to the likes of that and other of his compositions, was he a man ahead of his time musically? Yes, and... Just as George Morrison was ahead of his time, I mean, and they worked very closely together and they understood each other. Um, can I mention um, a man called Colm de Barade? He's, uh, he's very much in the news now because he's made a lovely film called On Colleen Kuhn, which is breaking all records for um, an Irish language film. It's a little uh, feature film. But he made um, a documentary called Lorig Nagos about the making of Misha Era. And uh, he interviewed George, I think, back in 2009 or 2000, and maybe later than that, and asked him about the relationship between himself and um, and uh, Sean Arida. And he says they, they got on straight away, they understood each other perfectly, and he knew what he wanted, he knew what kind of music the film needed, and he was able to talk this through with Sean Arida, and Sean Arida came up with... Um, uh, what's the name of the song that's the main theme you know there's a song uh, there's a a ballad that he took the air off and he made it into a um, an orchestral piece for Misha Air is it um, is it Roisin Dove or it's one of those songs I anyway. think you're right actually and I, I was about to say Roisin Dove but I didn't want to commit myself in case I was wrong <laughs> I know, um, and then uh, the same for Saoirse. Uh The music for Saoirse is amazing too, and um, we don't hear it as much. Now, there, he, some of the film, it's, it's there's such difficult uh, things that they're describing that he wanted discordant music for that, you know, because that would match with the whole confusion. And you know, as you said, it was brother against brother and father against son, and you know obviously mother and daughter and daughter and sister and sister it was a a terribly bitter time because when people argued about um, the principles of what they believe in um, it, it can affect their relationship and what they do of course you know and the sense of betrayal over the treaty I think has never gone away because the, the boundary commission and how um, the country was carved up and, and all of that has its effects today and 
you know, again, it's like uh, whatever you say, say nothing. Like even now, I wouldn't feel free to talk about what's happening currently in the north and and that, you know, because you want to upset somebody. You know, it's very hard to say something that doesn't kind of uh, blame somebody else. But the, the situation that people were left in in the north once the border was established was horrendous. They had no country, basically, and um, they were all seen as uh, suspects because they were um, nationalists or Catholics or whatever you want to call them, but they were obviously not going to be supporting the union with Britain. And um, so they were, even the ones who were neutral or had no feelings about it one way or the other, they were seen as targets, and there was terrible pogroms there in the 1920s are forgotten about you never hear about it. You, you hear all right about what happened in the 1960s with the burning of Bombay Street and all the um, the refugees that fled and arrived here. And might I say, they weren't made very welcome. And uh, they weren't made very welcome here. I think they were housed um, in camps largely for a while. And um, they, there was a, a lot of begrudgery here about whether we should allow them even be here. And these are people who burnt out their homes. It was the biggest... Uh, mass movement of people, refugees in Europe um, I think um, until the uh, the Balkans erupted there in the 90s so um, you know I think we must remember and we, we are culpable and turn our back on our people that are our own and you know we saw them as different once the boundary once the border was established so um, it, it is a very difficult time and uh, I think that uh, the Oreda family are very proud of the heritage of their father, and their father was a, a genuine intellectual. And um, the poet Thomas Kinsler has written about his friendship and his conversations with Sean Oreda in, um, in one of his books, and they're well worth reading to kind of um, understand the mind and the life of Sean Oreda. And his, you know, his name was John Reed. But when he became aware of his heritage as an Irishman, he changed his name. And he also was a classical uh, musician and composer. But when he, when his mind was opened to the um, the riches and the depth of Irish heritage and music in particular, he um, he did something that I don't think anybody else had done before since Carolyn. He brought the the music of the people, the folk music. Um, and he uh, he brought it into concert halls, and he he established Kiltory Coolin, um, and you know the, it was the first. He did, and, and unfortunately, he, he died at the extremely young age of forty. And had he lived, I think my maths are right, he'd be ninety-one this year. I think if he had lived, mm. uh, which you know, when you think about what he left behind, it puts George Morrison's hundredth birthday into real perspective. Maria, we are badly bet for time because I do want to finish out with the uh, closing part of Misha Era. Do we have a date for the rescheduled concert yet? Um, I don't think there's a date set yet, but um, I'll let you know as soon as there is. And maybe in the meantime, um, we might do uh, something on your programme sometime uh, exclusively on Saoirse. And I'd, um, I'd encourage people to buy the DVD uh, it's available on DVD and so is Misha Era and they both uh, deserve to be watched several times because there's so much detail in them and there's so many people who were crucial 
at that point in Irish history that have been forgotten. Um, people like Archbishop Mannix, I mean, most people have never heard of him. Um, I never knew who he was, even though I'd seen his name on several streets were called after him. But there was a RIRG documentary made about him sometime in the 1970s. That's another man who lived very long and had a huge influence in Australian politics after he left Ireland and world politics. I mean, he was um, he was covered in all the papers because of his campaign against conscription. And that was very relevant to Ireland as well because, as you know, there was a huge, um, very well-coordinated, you know, went across all political and religious uh, well, maybe not religious, but definitely across all political um, entanglements. You know, people pulled together. There was a massive campaign in, I think it was April 1918, against conscription here, and it was effective, and they um, they were punished for it. A lot of them were ended up in jail. But um, anyway, we'll talk about that the next time, and um, I'd encourage people to buy the DVDs of Saoirse and Miss Era and just absorb themselves in the history of our country and you know we really we can't understand where we are at the moment in our present situation unless we understand where we came from our past Maria Nivorico Maria Gormila Mahagut beg me the kind lacoon of day uh Kubla Shockton book is lovely okay we look forward to that thanks a million Near FM. Across Northeast Dublin. 90.3. This is Near FM.